Welcome back to The Chosen Life. I'm your host, The Chosen Lawyer. Let's get right into the intro. He's Twisted Steel. He's Sex Appeal. He's back from episode one. Ladies and gentlemen, George Tremis. George, welcome back to The Chosen Life. Thank you. Amazing being here. I really, really like it. Thank so. you. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's hard to believe. It's, uh, you're, I believe now we are taping episode 18, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun, eh? That it does. That it does. It was just the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. We started off the new year, new podcast, new everything. And uh, we said we'll see each other back by the next new year. But you and I both knew it was going to happen a lot sooner. And I told you we have to do it in person. And here we are actually live now in person before we did it virtually. Yeah. 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 But before everything else, let's start off with this, George. Episode one aired. We're back now. How's life been for you? What's been going on? Well, um, it seems like it was so long ago because I guess so much has happened, right? 18 episodes would be 18 weeks, I guess, right? Oh, very good. Yeah, I can do math. <laughs> You're a realtor. I know that's your, that's your cup of tea. Hey, they can't all do math. But anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so yeah, quite a bit's happened. I mean, uh, real estate market has been very interesting. Uh, it was super hot. It's cooled off. It's actually trending towards a balanced market now. Uh, me personally... I've uh, had the amazing opportunity to deliver a program I call Turning Prospects into Profits. But by profits, I mean P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. Yes, I can spell too. That's very deep. Yeah. Yeah. Have you become a Buddhist monk? Like that sounds very heavy to me. Uh, it's not meant to be heavy. It's more rather about, you know, delivering experience in such a way that, you know, people that become your clients actually become like profits for you and your business. And then if they become profits as an advocates for you, yes. that will eventually result in profits, which is important for everybody. I love that. How long ago did you start that program? Uh, I think it was about three weeks ago. I, I launched it for the first time and uh, now we're looking at introducing it into uh, a major gym chain, which I can't say the name at this point, okay. but uh, that'll be interesting because I find these things transfer across industries and business and disciplines, et cetera. Right. What inspired this? I mean, from one thing we talked about in episode one and you and I have built our friendship over time. You have a diverse amount of interests. You know, you can't mm. be happy with just one thing. You have to be, have your hand in many, many things. And you get inspired or an opportunity comes up. What landed this one for you? I just saw an opportunity to deliver some value that was maybe missing in the real estate space and then realized that it could bring value across different verticals as well, right? Um, it's about selling better, I guess. That would be a good way of putting it. So something that's there, not being done the best it can. There's an opportunity to improve it. Heard this line before. It's uh, <laughs> had a few successful people have already come on the show, talked about their experiences. And, you know, it's funny because in business and life, it's all been done, essentially. There's very few things yeah. we can just, unless we're going to start inventing, you know, cars that can, and they have them where they can fly in the air, they can go in the water, but, but day to day people can use them. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of us are looking at goods and services and saying, how can we do this better? What am I using or I'm doing that's different than somebody else is doing mm -hmm. or where am I? I need something, but I can't find this. And what is out there is not good enough for me. So I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. Now I'm going to sell it to the masses. Exactly. Sounds familiar? Oh, absolutely. I think a major thing is invention is rare and very difficult, but innovation is available to all of us. If we see the opportunity and we match it with our purpose and our passion, innovation will follow. I love that. Yeah. Well, a really good segue is to the shirt that you're wearing today. I love yes. the merch. Thank you. Where did you pick up that bad boy? From you. <laughs> no, it looks good, man. Thank you. You know, it's, uh, I get asked all the time, 
where can I get a shirt? Where can I get a hoodie? You know, and I love when we're sitting on the show and we're both wearing it, you know, and it's showing people. And I have actually uh, a new opportunity that's come up. It's just been launched, actually. If you go onto the website, millions.co. So on millions.co, there's a lot of athletes on there, professionals, Olympians. And that's where you're able to find the merch of your favorite athletes. Hmm. For myself, as a two-time UFE uh, champion in fitness and bodybuilding, I'm on millions.co. I've just launched awesome. my page. And we're going to be having Chosen Lawyer merch on there. Nice. So people can get their shirts. And it's going to be in the Chosen Lawyer, the Chosen Life. And the great, great news of it, not just the fact that they can have flexing shirts and they can enjoy <laughs> it like George and I are having it, but every single dollar of profit that's being raised is not going to be going into anybody's pocket except for charity. So we're raising every dollar towards animal rescue. So I, I'm a big uh, fan of dogs and of animals in general. I have Ollie, my Shih Tzu, who's like my best friend, companion. And um, I, I, I just believe in general, like, you know, there's so many good causes out there, but, you know, animals bring so much happiness to so many people. And they are these creatures that have their own hearts, their brains, their feelings, that they are real life creatures. You know, people don't think about that. They're not that much different than us as humans, but they don't get to be able to control their destiny like we can. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them don't get to go into a great home, don't have an opportunity and, you know, they fall through the cracks. And it's nice when animal rescues and other uh, um, charities are able to go and help animals where they can't help themselves. And I'm, I love it. And I'm glad that we're going to be able to go and have merch and also support a great cause. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I can totally relate. Unfortunately, I lost my little guy this year. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. talk about it. And it's not going to be one of those shows where I start to tear up. So, <laughs> but yeah, he, he passed away. I had a little cat and they do touch your lives more than you realize. And, you know, sometimes it's that expression. You don't realize what you had until it's gone. So yeah, yeah I love the cause and uh, I'm definitely going to be contributing to buying some merch. <laughs> Thank you. You know, they're going to make great Christmas stocking stuffers, you know, uh, birthdays, bar mitzvahs, any occasion. It's chosen lawyer time, right? That's right. That's right. And that being said, uh, thank you for, for that. And, you know, I certainly hope everybody enjoys the merch. I, it really was born, the merchandising side of it was from a need in the sense that people were messaging me and saying, how do I get my merch? How do I get my merch? And I said to myself, look, I'm in the merchandising business and I don't want to go and print off thousands of these things and have a warehouse and have to distribute it. That's not my cup of tea, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm a lawyer, I'm closing real estate transactions and I'm podcasting. I don't want to do the merchandising side. Mm -hmm. But millions.co, they make them to order. It's very simple. We get the designs out there and boom, people order. They'll get it through there. Easy peasy. Awesome. Turnkey operation. As well, they have a section of ask the athlete. So people will be, asked, be able to ask me anything but law questions because I can't give legal <laughs> advice on there. Talk about life, fitness, health, productivity, spirituality, anything. And every dollar I generate from ask the athlete is also going to go towards animal rescue charity. Amazing. Boom. Awesome. So podcasting. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to January. Yeah. Do you recall the first conversation that we had when I raised to you the chosen life and when I first invited you on the show? Does it ring a bell? Lunch. Okay. I remember lunch. Very Definitely. good. Very good. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I knew you were on something. You know, a lot of people would have told me, you're crazy. You're, you're, you're a lawyer. You're so busy. Why would you probably get into it? You supported it from the second I raised it with you. you Why? Your profession, your education, and one of your disciplines and talents shouldn't define who you are or what you can be. So just because you're a lawyer and very good at it doesn't mean you can't be very good at something else or even leverage that. I really believe the best practices in one industry are transferable into others or one skill set can be used somewhere else. But the most important thing was I saw you light up 
I mean, I see you light up when you talk about the law because you're sharing, you're serving, you're, you're, you're providing knowledge and assistance, but you lit up in a very different way. I saw a match between passion and purpose. It's like you found one of your whys. And so I knew knowing you and the person you are and all the disciplines you had acquired and built up like a muscle exercising to do the things you do, to, to do this, to do this, the discipline muscles you develop combined with passion and purpose. I knew this would happen. Which I knew if you were, if you were going to go IPO, I would have invested. <laughs> still, you never know. <laughs> but, but that being said, you know, I found as time went along and I had more episodes under my belt and people of different genres, it becomes much easier. So Buff Bagwell has been on for two episodes. He's coming on his third episode as a professional wrestler. I can go and show those episodes to any professional wrestler. Mm -hmm. And hopefully a lot would say, wow, okay, I can see it. Let me come on. Yeah. Uh, I have Melissa Lanceman coming on, MP uh, for the Conservative Party of Thornhill. She comes on. Any politician that can see that, 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 uh, that sees how the relationship was, how mm -hmm. the episode went, could say, okay, I can see myself on there now. Mm -hmm. You know, when you came on, I had nothing essentially to show you. There was no framework of it. There's no previous guests. You're coming on raw to an unknown quantity and you're jumping right in and you were like, yes, man, let's do this thing. And I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons why, among other things, you were the first ever guest on The Chosen Life because of the passion you understood. You, I, I, talked to, I told you about it for five minutes at lunch and you got it right away. Because uh, I believed in you and I believed in it. And the reality is, I don't think people think about it, but everything is created in the mind first. It's created before it ever becomes real or tangible or something you can touch. And I saw that you had it in your mind. You had the vision. Motivation is great. It gets you started, but you had passion, purpose, and discipline. So I knew it would come to be. And I wanted to be part of that. I got to tell you, and, and I know you'll understand this more than anybody else as an entrepreneur. When, when an idea is hatched, mm -hmm. once it actually gets implemented, you got, you got to come up with the steps and then you start implementing. But when the idea is hatched, I know for myself, I see already what the end result is going to look like. I can visualize it perfectly. Mm -hmm. I see exactly what I want and how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Then I make the steps to work towards it, but I'm going to do it. It's like I tell my trainer, Jared, for example, when we're doing uh, whatever our circuit day is, and let's say it's chest day, for example. I said to him, when I'm doing bench, I'm not looking at myself right the second. I can see myself doing the bench. So I'm visualizing myself executing exactly what I want. And that's what I'm doing. When, when I'm interviewing a guest and like, when I, for example, when I was interviewing Melissa, I literally was like out of body watching myself talk to her. I'm not even in my body, my soul out of my body. It's like, it's that perfect. And that's what I'm visualizing. And we're doing exactly like it's a dream state. It's going so slowly. It's going so perfect. Yeah. Like when Steve Carsey talks about uh, pitching as a, as a pitcher, it's like you can see it so clearly. The baseball looks big. Everything feels good. And it's like the visualization of it. And that's where I tell a lot of people at the end of the day, if you want to succeed in life, you can't just go and do and hope for the best. You need to know the goal you want. you got to visualize that goal. you got to eat, breathe, sleep that goal. And you stop at nothing till you get that goal, but you can always see in your mind what it is. If you can see it, you will have it. 100%. Totally. It makes me think of a, a book I read called Total Focus. I can't remember the author's name, but mm -hmm. fabulous book. And it talks about that, that purpose, that focus, right? And yeah, you're 100% right. That's what keeps you going. I mean, motivation is great. And I listen to motivational stuff. But to me, motivation is like torque. You know, if you think of a car, right? I like cars. 
So the torque, yeah, that launches you off the line, burns the tires, makes a lot of noise, smoke, it's great. But what keeps you going is horsepower. So that focus, discipline, matched with passion and purpose, that's the horsepower that gets you to the destination. I love that's it. That's the analogy I use. And we all gotta find that, we gotta find that torque. Yeah, totally. absolutely. I remember when I was baseball blogging and uh, that was a big passion of mine for mm -hmm. many, many years. And I was uh, back, let's say about 10 years ago, give or take, or maybe it's 11, 12 years ago now. It's funny how time goes real quick. Yeah. But, I, but that was my baby and that was, that was such a passion of mine. And I reached a point where I said to myself, I'm at the point of my life, I've hit a ceiling. And in order to get past the ceiling, I got to get to other levels. But I need to step away right now. I cannot do this altogether. I can't write about, I remember saying to my, to my writer when I, when, I, when I gave him the site, I said, I can't write about life. I need to go live life right now. Mm. I gave it up that day, never wrote again, went to yoga and decided to go practice yoga daily. Mm -hmm. Like some people go to India to go find themselves. Mm -hmm. I went to go find myself in Toronto where I was living and onto a yoga mat and yoga it out till I started to get the idea of where I wanted to be. And the more I was uncomfortable and the more it wasn't making sense, the more I was going to go until I could start finding it. And then it's going to start diversing. And that's funny where from yoga came for me, came boxing, mm. came bodybuilding, came everything else, you know, and then I'm back. It's now doing as podcasting to me, this is blogging, but spoken instead of written words. Yep. We're back to square one, but I've lived life. I continue to live life, but I come in with a different perspective. And sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, I've been doing something and you know, they say, don't throw good money after bad because at a point in time where you say, you know what, it's okay to pull back a little bit. Maybe I have to change the plan a little bit. Maybe it's not going exactly the way I want to, or maybe I need to open up myself to other experiences, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even something that could be going really well for a business, another opportunity comes, you can't do everything in life. So you have to pick and choose. That's a I know you've been there. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I agree with you. And I think uh, a lot of people think sometimes stepping back is a bad thing, but if you don't let go of something, you can't move forward a lot of times. And I think of Les Brown, one of his, his talks where he said, you know, if you think of a bow and arrow, you got to draw the arrow back before it launches forward. And so I don't really see it as square or back to square one. I think you said, I see it more as an evolution. This is an evolution along your journey and you're where you're meant to be because it resonates with you and you can see it. You can see it as you do each episode. Right. But you're right. You have to focus on certain things. And some people have a capacity for two or three things. You know, others only one, but again, it comes back to, are you delivering on your purpose and your passion, right? And do you have focus? If you start to find that you can't give something the focus it deserves, you got to let go. And I think we get to these points where we grow and then we got to let go and then we grow more. And I'm at that stage, actually, when I'm looking yeah. at the different revenue streams and lines of business I'm involved in and services I provide. George Tremis, as long as there's breath in your body, you're always going to be looking at the revenue streams and looking at other avenues and never <laughs> feeling satisfied. That is who you are. And that's part of what we love about you. <laughs> but, you. but, you know, you know, part of why we connect because we're both like we, we got to have as soon as we're so busy that we can't do anything else, we'll take on more. That's the way it is, right? Because it's exciting. <laughs> that's the way it's got to be. Um, I, was, I was talking to you before off air about uh, The Chosen Journey, the yeah. baseball documentary series with Steve Carsey. Mm -hmm. And that one's a classic example because when I met Steve, I met him during the blogging days. We were going to write his autobiography. And I thought, funny enough, that the book was lost because I, in my computers, I couldn't locate it. Steve located it, what we had written at the time. So we have the intro, we have some chapters. It's amazing because I thought it was gone already. I read through it with him and it's funny because what I wrote 11 years ago still holds today because instead of doing it as an autobiography where we would speak through interviews over the phone and then I would transcribe it and write out a book, 
we're doing it now as a baseball documentary series where people are watching those interviews. Very cool. And when I came to Steve years ago, years later now, when we, we met up now this year, and I came to him and I said, you know, remember the book and everything else? I wrote him a proposal and I said to him, if we had done what we were supposed to do 11 years ago, it would have been the greatest shame in the world because those interviews would have been lost forever. Nobody wants to read my, my written words or maybe less people, but it would not have been anywhere near the effect of me transcribing what we would have talked about. People want to hear it in your yes. words and see your expressions. And that is the greatest gift. So thank goodness we did it now when we did. So the idea never died. It evolved the way yes. you say it. <laughs> but thank goodness, because I think it would have been a travesty to lose those interviews. Because those interviews in my mind, the, it's called the, the chosen journey, mm -hmm. not the baseball story. It's called the chosen journey. It's really not about the finished product. It's not about a book. Here's a book I wrote. Congratulations. It's about the journey getting there yeah. and hearing about the journey. So it's, and it's really a metaphor of life if you think about it. Because it's not about, hey, I, I reached this position. I made this much money until I passed away. No, it's the path you take every day. It's the journey, yes. the days you're living. Because really, like, how many times have you achieved something and you said, no matter how good this achievement was, the journey getting there was way more fun. It was way better. Yeah. And then you have momentum and you're going on to the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, All it's definitely about the journey. And I think it's who you become in the process. And, you know, I think of what you said about 10 years ago versus now. And yeah, it would have been a shame because it's meant to be now. And it's kind of like when I'm, you know, doing some sales training and coaching, a no doesn't mean never. It just means not right now. There's so, a big difference. There's a huge difference. And it's like podcasting. That's another classic one, because here, one of the things we're talking about right now is the, cho the chosen life how it came to be. You came on in episode one, where my mindset was at with it. And it's funny because a lot of people I talked to, my so-called friends and advisors said, oh, it's already been done. Everybody's doing podcasting. There's so many out there. It's so saturated already. Don't even bother, you know? Mm -hmm. And where the idea came to me, George, quite frankly, was I devoured podcasts for the last two years. That's all I said. All my free time, I don't want to watch any TV shows. Mm -hmm. I just want to watch podcasts on YouTube. So I'm watching and watching, watching, especially wrestling ones. And I said to myself, this is lacking. This is the same crap over and over and over. Mm -hmm. They've had the same conversations over and over yeah. and over. It's the same genre over and over. I'm bored. So let's go watch some automotive stuff. Let's go watch some productivity ones. I said to myself, I have a lot of interest and I don't want to watch one thing all the time. It's boring me. Yeah. And I said, you know, what? I don't like the production value of it. I don't like where they're going. I don't like the formats. And I said, you know what? I don't like this enough that I'm going to go do my own. I'm going to do a vision of what I want. And that's what I believe that it's something different. And if I can reinvent something different, then I'm giving something new to the world. So no matter how many podcasts are out there, it don't matter. Same way, like no matter how many realtors out there, it don't matter. No, how many lawyers out there, it doesn't matter. If you give a good service, you work hard, you're consistent, it will always shine through. And that was the image in my mind I said of what I'm going to go do. And, and I made the whole storyboard and the project board, slowly retained the right team, talked to the mm -hmm. right people, mm -hmm. put it together, and it did not air until it was perfect. Now, perfect being the sense that things will always evolve, sure, and you'll always catch little things, you always want to make slight tweaks, but I wanted it right from the beginning, from the theme song to the thumbnails to the length to how we went about it. I needed to have that down and then we'll do tweaks over time. That's what I told the team and that's what we're continuing to do. But when you and I came together, man, I had a lot of sleepless nights because we're going to go air episode one. I mm. want it to look like it was episode 100 and I felt we did that. I think so. I think so. And, and, you know, it's incredible as you share that story as well. It comes back again to the fact that you spent two years, you know, absorbing, learning, observing podcasts. That's the focus we talked about. And when you say about perfect, 
it's not necessarily perfect. It's matching your vision, bring your vision to life. You had to perfectly bring your vision to life and then it showed. I'll tell you frankly that to mean anything you do, like, so I'm a writer by nature. That's like mm-hmm. my God's given gift. That and speaking. Yeah. You know, when I go I to, so. <laughs> when I go to write, I describe to people as a writer. What does that mean to be a writer? To be a writer is the words flow through your fingers. You're not even thinking about it. They just come. Mm-hmm. When you're in the zone, when you're not worried about anything, you're not overthinking stuff and you just let yourself kind of be, mm-hmm. words just flow out of your fingers. Same thing out of the mouth. Yep. The same way I think that when Beethoven came and saw the piano, he just started playing. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing things, I, to me, that's my art form. And that's the kind of value I put into it. So whether I'm writing up a lease, I'm doing a blog entry, or I'm doing a uh, game plan for the chosen life, I put that kind of love into it. Because to me, it's an art form and you need to take appropriate measures to make sure you put out the best product you can. Because if you half-ass it, and it's not that great, and you gonna attach your name to that, that's a shame. And I think that's everything professionally and personally. I tell everybody who's a team member with me, we do it right, we put our hearts into it, we pay attention to every little detail, or we don't do it at all. You I know? agree. No different than a totally. painter, one extra stroke or one less stroke, it matters. It does matter. And I think it matters in ways that people don't even realize. And you know, uh, Will Smith talks about self-esteem. Right. And it's your esteem you have for yourself. And every time you sell yourself short on your capability, your talent and what you deliver to people, you're lowering your self-esteem. You're selling yourself short. And that happens to you subconsciously. And that goes down one path versus another. But if you deliver excellence in what you do in your writing, whether it's in your legal profession or podcasting, et cetera, that builds upon your self-esteem and your discipline. And it means you grow and deliver more and more and more and evolve. So I think that's one of the formulas for success. I know one of the first things that attracted me to you as far as working with you and our friendship, because I, 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 I've learned, I learned this from a very young age to listen. Mm-hmm. When you meet people that you value, that you trust, that you, you want to aspire to, listen to them, follow them. Absolutely. And not always, oh, even with their words, but watch their actions, everything. And I can tell you, remember a few times you brought up to me from your business cards, your website, Everything you attach your name to, you watch every little detail. Your hair looks perfect. Your beard looks perfect. The shirt you're wearing, how your voice is conveyed. You watch all those little things. You know that your image is everything and you are very safely guarding it. And I said to myself that I respect that. That's the way it's got to be. And that's where, you know, you put your image at that kind of level. I said, I will attach my, myself to that image any day of the week. Because if he can put that kind of time into his image, I want to be part of that team. Thank you. I mean, the feeling's mutual. Right. And I think a big point there was listening. I mean, when you're talking, it's great if you have that talent, but when you're talking, you're not listening. So you're not learning. Right. So I try to listen just as much as I talk. And, you know, some stuff I come up with is novel and my own or an innovation and others belong to other people, other things. Right. I mean, I grew up listening. I grew up next door to my grandparents. And so that was an amazing privilege. And uh, one, should I have kids that I hope to give to them? And I grew up going over to my grandparents' house after school and my grandfather's wise and older and retired and he lived his life. And I'd sit there for hours on end and listen to him. And I realized I have this amazing opportunity to learn from somebody's lifetime and have it distilled and given to me so that I can take their life lessons that they learned the hard way. And then it didn't just stop with my grandfather who passed away, but uh, you know, now I listen to podcasts, YouTube videos motivational speakers, you know, whether it's actors like Will Smith or Denzel Washington, they all have something amazing to share. And that's what I do. I listen and I learn and I try to innovate and share again. 
There's an expression of, there's variations of it, but something that I read a long time ago that really, you know, captured for me was, you know, the intelligent person thinks they know nothing and the non-intelligent person thinks they know everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's in everything we do. And it, we can all get caught in this too. Like, for example, you know, at one point, you know, besides real estate transactions, I, I do a lot of lease work. At one point I was doing only leases. At the point that I think that I know everything about leases, it's all been done, you can't get anything by me, I think I'm done at that point. Because no matter how much, you can do any niche of any profession and you're always gonna learn something. There's always something new that comes up. There's always a perspective you didn't notice. There's something you don't know. There's another way of doing things. It's amazing, you know? And one of the things I've always decided in my mind was when I'm gonna work on something, whatever it is, whether it's gonna be lawyering or podcasting, I'm gonna look at the professionals and see what they're doing. And I'm going to uh, not necessarily emulate them, but I'm gonna take pieces of it because I don't, I don't have the secret formula. There is no secret formula. No matter how good it is, there's always a better way of doing something. You can do it more efficiently, cost-effective, more productively. There's always a way about it. Mm -hmm. But on the same token, have a foundation. You know, mm -hmm. I don't like to go in th doing things blindly as far as not understanding it. If I'm going to do something and I don't understand it, I don't do it. I step away. I educate myself. Maybe bring on a mentor that will work for me that has experience in it. Like one of the things I always loved was growing up in law, for example, was I was lucky to have the mentors that said, here, you're running with it. I will give you feedback, but you're going to do it. You're actually going to do it. To have somebody go and do it for you all the time, you're never going to learn. No, not at all. They got to throw you in the water, let you out to swim, throw you the life jacket if you need to. But I think that's the best way to learn in everything in life. And from podcasting side, if I came as somebody's co-host for two years and just never say anything, kind of, I don't think it would have gone anywhere. I think that at the end of the day, I and to, to do it, I just got a vision. I'm just jumping in. I'm just going to start practicing. And you're doing it your way. Always. Right. So you're not co-hosting, learning somebody else's way. You're doing it your way. But one thing I really love about what you said, and it ties back to what we we're talking about earlier, yes. is you step back if you think that you're not ready to do it. Not that you're not going to do it at all, but you step back and you say, okay, I got to prepare properly, which makes sense. There's a, there's a trade-off between speed and preparation, right? And execution ultimately is the most important part. Yes. But I think of what you mentioned about details, attention to details, making sure everything matters. And then I think about, well, I skydive. Right? Do when, you? Yeah. I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when I... Not surprised. I spent a half a day learning the basics before I could do my own personal free fall. Yes, the instructors are with me, but I didn't do tandem. And if you treat everything like it's life and death like that, within reason, obviously, but then you will deliver a better experience, a, a better podcast, whatever have you, because you make sure that everything matters. And if it doesn't matter, don't do it. Then you're majoring in the minor details. How long have you been doing skydiving for? Uh, well... I mean, uh, recent events put an end to that for yes. the summer, but uh, just before COVID, I started. Amazing. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all, man. You're really badass. Like you, <laughs> bodybuilder, <laughs> entrepreneur. I think I hit a midlife. <laughs> I did skydiving. Quarter life. Quarter <laughs> yeah, life. Quarter life. But we're all going to 120, so. Motorcycle racing. Yeah. Yeah. I've done but, all these adrenaline things. You know, but when I look at George Travis now, I'm looking at you, right? I see your arms. I see your beard. I see your hair. I see your glow. <laughs> I say to myself. I'm looking not at George Tremis. I'm looking at the best me. That's what I want to be. I see the best aspects of me of what I want to be when I see you. And that motivates me, you know? And that's where I think a lot of people, even when it's the reverse, when they say somebody's mad at me, they're really rude to me. I said, they're not. When they're looking at you, they're not mad at you. They're mad at themselves. They're seeing the worst of themselves because you're bringing out something in them that yeah. they have to look internally. It feels like it's, they're taking it out on you, but it's really their own stuff. So Funny how it could be negative, but it can also be on the positive end of it. So thank you for it's mindset. 
Yes. They're not competing with themselves. So that's why they get jealous or frustrated about something else, right? Think when you and I built our friendship and everything else, I can tell you, man, the best, I mean, look, I I am award-winning fitness uh, bodybuilder, you know, starting a (laughs) podcast, you know, you bringing out the best in me and I appreciate that. So thank you. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) I guess you say you're welcome when someone says thank you. So on that, on on that token, you know, uh, on topic number two, uh, this is the first public interview I have given and spoken to anybody since I found out a big announcement for myself. Um, it's very humbling when you are nominated for a big distinction and award. I got to tell you Wednesday, uh, of this past week. So we pre-taped this stuff, but, uh, so we're taping this on a Saturday. It was on a Wednesday. So it's only been a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So just to put a perspective for the second topic. So I start off my day ready to go. I know I'm going to be taping a chosen journey episode with Steve Carsey. I'm all excited. And I get an email from another lawyer that we know each other, good friends. And he says to me, congratulations, I just voted for you and I hope you win the award. And I said to him, what the heck are you talking about? And he sends me the link and I find out that I've been nominated as one of the 25 most uh, influential lawyers in Canada Mm. by Canadian Lawyer Magazine. So they're having they're having right now the voting going and they have five different categories. I'm in the changemaker category, surprisingly enough. Not and at all to me. <laughs> so you got five categories from each category. The five lawyers will be a total of 25 most influential lawyers in Canada. And I'm going to win that. And I'm going to be in that group. I saw, as soon as I saw that, I said, yes, this is mm-hmm. going to happen. And the, one of the first people I thought of and I reached out to was you. Why? Because only you. good things happen to you in your life when you have a George Tremis in your corner. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Episode one comes up of The Chosen Life. Chosen Life grows into The Chosen Journey. I'm also producing uh, with David and David, their real estate podcast, my mm-hmm. partner, David Corman, David Gorski. And I have so much fulfillment in my life as far as seeing from the podcasting things end of it. Uh, at Corman's LLP, our law firm, going paperless, virtual, you know, changing the course of our law firm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I see this thing, the first thing I think of is this is a team award. It says Jonathan Cohen. Vote for Jonathan Cohen is one of the most influential lawyers. But in my mind, it starts from my law firm and my team at Corman's to everybody else that has been around me. Each of you, including yourself, that have touched me. If I'm one of the most influential lawyers in Canada, you're a part of that because you helped make that happen. It's an honor. And you told me that we're going to have to talk about that today. So we are. So what was your reaction? I I did email to you and I said to you, you were not surprised at all. Knowing you and yeah, I'm not going to swear an error, but I was like, F yeah, <laughs> I was like, damn right. Yeah. It made sense to me. Right. It wasn't a surprise. I do think you're a change maker. And I just, I don't want to go off the topic about a team because I love that. And, uh, it, that's just part of why we resonate because I have the same mindset, right? You, nobody does anything entirely by themselves, right? We need people to interact with and grow, but, uh, yeah, I was excited for you. And, uh, one of the first things I did was jump on there and vote for you. <laughs> I really, and, and that's one of the things is that I'm going to ask people to put a link in, in, in the, uh, in, in the summary of this episode, but every vote is going to count at the end of the day. We don't know how many people who's voting. So people have things seriously understand that yes, every single vote's going to count and it makes a difference. It's a very much appreciated honor just to be nominated truthfully. I already feel like I've won simply having my name there. Like I was like on cloud number nine all day and I ended up having the best day of my life pretty much that day. And it sounds like you don't even know who nominated you, which is incredible. Uh, it, it it's generally a lawyer from from within the ranks. So 
Lawyers are the ones reading Canadian Lawyer Magazine.、Mm-hmm. Lawyers are nominating lawyers. And when I got first, even more amazing. It's your peer group then, in that sense. Who's the first person that told me that voted for me? A lawyer in my peer group.、Mm-hmm. Like that's huge. And when people in your own industry are recognizing that, like there's the five categories. That, the category I'm in is is change maker.、Mm-hmm. Somebody that's used technology and other means to evolve the practice of law and the mindset of of, of the legal world in Canada. And I certainly, from the time I, I came to Cormans, it was in 2015. I had a vision for Cormans. I had a vision for law in general. I had a vision for my practice, and to me, I want to be in the future today. I want to be an innovator. I don't want to be a laggard. I can see where it's going. It's not that difficult. You go and look at what every other country is doing. What every other law firm in, in all over the world are doing. What is the practice of law? What does real estate law look like in every other country?、Mm-hmm. And figure out where we're headed. And be one of the first. Don't be one of the last. And I had such a great team. I had my partners Jerry and David Corman.、Mm-hmm. Jerry retired.、Mm-hmm. David and I are partners today. Best partner in the world. And together we sit, we talk. And you know, when you come up with anything at the end of the day, it's a big vision. It's making the steps and executing. And I cannot do those three on my own.、Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm lucky to have the team. And without the team, I'm not going to be able to do any of that. And I'm very fortunate where Corman's went. Today we are paperless. We're virtual.、Mm-hmm. We adopted a program which was with new, exciting. I had a DocuSign. It's called Syngraphy. Love it. Where you are signing by hand, but through a computer.、Yep. You can close any transaction in Ontario. You can be anywhere in the world, and it doesn't matter. It's like you're there. There's no more printing off paper, scanning it, shredding it. No need for paper. There's no more need for staplers, highlighters. It's all gone. It's toner. It's over. You need your Computer, you need your monitor, you need your keyboard, your mouse, you need an iPad or a, or your phone, and that's it. You don't need anything else anymore. You want to take notes, do it virtually. You want to send messages, do them virtually. Add comments, do them virtually. There's no more need for paper, no more files, no more nothing. I, you know, I remember working at a law firm, George, where they had like six fax machines and the incoming faxes, <laughs> and I knew that there was already virtual faxing. Yeah, yeah, and it gets sent to you like an email. Why are we doing this? Are you serious? We're actually going to take them out of the fax machine. We're going to scan. This is how we've always done it, right? <laughs> and it's not. I hate the words. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Oh, that's a terrible one. It's not that it's、yeah. not broke. It can be done better. Let's、uh, do it better. So, as far as for me to come in and saying, and especially in my industry, and I love law, I love real estate. But we are laggards by by nature of what lawyers are. We are the slowest to adopt everything else. You can't say we. Well, maybe well, maybe <laughs> global we. But as far as fair enough. But on the same token, you know, we have considerations. We have the law society. There's things that are allowed, not allowed. What are the protocols, rules,、yeah. regulations, blah 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 blah. And we have to fight every end of it. We have to try to push the envelope, and we need to force to evolve because at the end of the day, the firm is better, the team is better. And the clients are especially better. Who is going to win out number one out of everything when you evolve? It's your clients and customer. When, Absolutely. When I sit with a client, I tell them, I don't want you to think of me as a lawyer. I'm not here to lawyer you. I'm in the make your life easy business. My job is to take your BS and just make your life simple, and that's it. And when they have their team that's doing their job, the professionals. Just sit back and watch the deal close. That's how it should be in a perfect world,、yeah. and that's what we should be striving towards. And the more difficult it is for the client and the customer, we're not doing it right, folks. And let's find a better way. You know, Jonathan. Every time we talk, I just find more and more similarities. 
So <laughs> while I'm listening to you, I, I have this expression I, I use with my clients, whatever client it may be in whatever revenue stream or line of business. I'm like your Advil. I make headaches go away or I prevent them from happening. The, you know, it's, it's a little bit hokey, but they like it. it they like it, but it's the thought behind it. It's the same thing you were talking about, about making sure that things are smooth, headache free. You're with me. Things are smooth, headache free. You're with me, right? Um, and about, about being at the forefront of change. You know, I think I'd like to think we're people that we walk our talk. So it was about 15 months ago, I think I switched brokerages. I was at a great brokerage, but it was a traditional one. Okay. I switched to eXp. eXp is a cloud-based brokerage, one of the fastest growing brokerages in history. There's just so many things I could mention about it, but it was for that purpose. It was about, you know, skating to where the puck's going to be instead of where it is right now. So if you want to be a change maker, if you want to be at the leading edge of providing the top service for your clients and whatever your business is, you got to look for those opportunities. So I just find another thing where we're looking to do the same thing. You did it with your business and, and you know, Corman's, and then I did it by switching my brokerage so that I could provide that additional service to my team and my clients. And that's why we work so well together. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, but on that token, the truth is the proof is in the pudding. You could be saying, you know, love Jonathan, Jonathan's great to work with, but the ultimate compliment at the end of the day is that we work mutually on transactions. You know, yeah. I always say for you as a realtor, you have one of the hardest jobs in the planet. You are creating something from nothing. You are creating business where business is not there. And you need to find those clients, cultivate those clients, bring them forward, help them sell, help them purchase. That's, a, that's, that's, that's sales and it's most difficult. And if you're able to do it, you can be very successful, but not everybody's built that way. Then you come to the lawyer, we need to close the transaction. So you're the starting pitcher. You've been pitching seven, six innings. Come to me now. We got to close the game. I can't give up the game winning home run. We need everybody to win right now. Absolutely. That's the way I look at it. Absolutely. And for you to have that kind of confidence and for the number of years we've been working together to rely on me, on Corman's, to be able to close your transactions, to me, that's the ultimate vote of confidence. Well, I think a really important distinction here is because I get this question from, from agents and also from clients, you know, why this lawyer versus that lawyer? And, you know, and then they look at fees and they want to, you know, nickel and dime over $100 when they're spending a million dollars, which I find very ironic and, yeah. and humorous. But the real difference is everything's good when it's good. It's not a problem until there is a problem. But what I like about you and Corman's is that when there's a problem, you roll up your sleeves and you're, you're tackling it right there with me. That's not the case with everybody or the we that you use. So that's one of the reasons for sure that, you know, we continue to do business together in that, in that area. And while we were talking, I think about one client who I won't name, who's actually in Israel right now. And yeah, we're doing things virtually just like you are. Yes, and yes. you know, the individual I referred to you in the firm. So I can't confirm or deny that. But yes. <laughs> we don't talk. About that. But yeah. So, I mean, it just works really well together. So let's, let's, let's cut through the line, George. Let, let me give it to you straight, honestly. Because you've been in this industry for a lot of years. You've worked with a lot of lawyers. Yep. When you saw the category of game change, of, of change maker, sorry, I called game changer, but it's change maker. Change maker and a top influential lawyer in Canada. When you think of myself, when you see my name versus seeing all those other lawyers you worked with, why did you cast your votes? Honestly. It, it was a no brainer. I mean, a lot of lawyers, don't get me wrong. Okay. There's a lot of good lawyers. But they, I think the difference that's required to be considered a change maker is instead of working on being really good 
at what already exists and what's already being done, you look at making it different and better. You change the game. That's the difference. That's the definition of a, of a, a game changer and a change maker. And that I think is a the difference. They work really hard on being really good at what's already established, which you did too, but you said, okay, now what's next? What are we going to do to evolve the game? Well, I appreciate that, my friend. And that actually segues us into topic number three, actually, which is funny. <laughs> enough. So again, I appreciate your vote very much. And I do appreciate everyone's vote. And Thanks again, and, and for the people that will vote, I won't take it lightly being voted one of the most 25 most influential lawyers in Canada. Like the, the, the hairs on my arms stand up and that's something I don't take lightly at all. How and, many lawyers are there in Canada? Um, Do we know roughly? I, I'm going to guess it's got to be in the thousands. Surely, oh, like, I don't know how many tens of thousands, but there's there's a heck of a lot of lawyers. In, and we're not talking about in Toronto. We're not talking about Ontario. Mm -hmm. We're talking about all of Canada, and we're talking about across the board of every area of law. That's that's huge, huge, huge. And there's the five categories. They're saying it was essentially the top five change makers influential lawyers in all of Canada. I do not take that lightly at all. But anybody who ever interacted with Cormans at all, any of our team members note that a vote for me is a vote for Cormans, period. And it, the one thing I think of as appreciative wise, all those people, like, I, it's funny, I know you're saying it that way and I, and I should be looking more individually like, but I think of every single person that was part of my life and part of my journey. And that victory is very satisfying from a personal standpoint, but everybody who's touched me has been part of me, we all win. You know, because mm -hmm. everybody could say, I worked with him. I know him. I shaped him. He shaped me. And it's amazing how we all are on this journey together. And I feel like one of us wins, all of us wins. No different than the fact one day you and I were sitting in my office. You came in one afternoon, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And we were just talking as we always do. Mm -hmm. We had a good time. It was the uh, middle of the afternoon. Got rid of my phone calls for the day. We're good. I'm uh, working on some emails. And you said to me, what is going on, Jonathan? What are you up to right now? And I said, uh, gearing up for my uh, training for my uh, big boxing match. Mm. Uh, it was in the uh, early spring mm -hmm. of 2019. And I said to you, by the end of the year, I'm going to be going in the boxing ring. I'm going to fight a charity match. And I want to go and I want to go battle and do some boxing. That's always been my dream. I want to be Mr. T and I'm going to do it. And your reaction was, are you effing crazy? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And you said to me, you're a lawyer. You need your brains. These brains are going to get scrambled potentially. There's so much risks for so little reward. Mm -hmm. I got a better idea for you. What was the idea, George? You wanted a milestone. You wanted something to achieve. And I just thought that your, your brain and your discipline and your personality was more suited to something where you're not getting punched in the head. <laughs> okay. So I said, why don't you try competing on stage? And, you know, there's a lot of similarities between us and I did it too. And I found it to be an incredible experience and, and not because of how I looked when I stepped on stage, although that's great, but rather about who I became in the process. And I thought that that's what you were looking for. And as it turns out, I think we were right. I think you were very right, my friend, because it wasn't even in my, because I, I was hearing you speak and I said to you, I don't know, George, I told everybody I'm going to be going in the boxing ring. I've been training for two years. And you said to me, you're going to be competing. The only difference is instead of using uh, the weights to help your boxing, use the boxing to help your weight and go the reverse side. Mm -hmm. You're putting all this time to make your body in shape and good for boxing you could step on the stage right now and when you said to me, I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. I said, you're serious. You said, 
I bet you have a better body than the guy who organizes the thing. You're that good <laughs> right now. And I took it really seriously. I was like stunned. It didn't even occur to me for a second. I was so passionate about the I was going almost every day with my boxing trainer. I got injured so many times. Mm. I tore this twice, tore this once, tore my groin once, my calf. It was, I didn't even tell you. It was bad. Like I was in and out of the sports clinic. I didn't clinic. know that. Yeah, I was going in and out of the sports clinic. And, and then they have this magic cream that they make this concoction. And you rub it on the, on the problem area and it heals real quick. And every time I have to go get this concoction and the doctor looks at me and says, stop boxing. And I, we're not even doing headshots yet. Okay. So mm. not even headshots. This is just body shots. He goes, buddy, we're not, you, you're in your forties. You're, you've not done this before. You're, I get your passion, but please do anything else. And the doctor was begging me and I said, no, no. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by God. And then you bring this up and I said, this is making a lot of sense. And then I had no idea that you had competed before. And I was like, wow. But and I also fought in the ring before. So I had my head hit a few times. So I figured you don't want that. <laughs> so you never told me that. But the thing is, if you told me you had competed, I probably would have said, oh, no, I'm definitely doing it. So even now I'm like, oh, he did it. I should have done it. No. But on the same token, I can tell you, I took a couple of headshots. Mm -hmm. It sucks. It does, it does it suck. It sucks. It does suck. It's like I, I, I remember falling once in tennis and bouncing my head off of the pavement and having a concussion what that's like that's child's play compared to what it's like when somebody gives you a boxing concussion it's yep. and when and when you get a good uh rib shot and a kidney shot mm -hmm. it's like all the life is completely sucked out of you it's amazing how you're gasping for air and they're just standing there and if it's a real match you're you're done yep it's scary stuff it's it's no joke and I've been to boxing matches where I've watched, I've watched the people, the professionals compete and then watch them on TV the next time around. I remember one guy and, uh, and, and he, he went into a coma. Like he got hit really hard. He walked himself down to the dressing That's room. That's a problem. And then he collapsed wow. and went into like a coma for months. And it's no joke. I've seen where you had charity events. And like, if you're, if you don't have the right trainers, if you don't have the right training, and even if you do, all it takes is one shot. It's not a joke. Like people say so much fun. I want to do boxing. It is not a joke. It, you can be all prepared you want. And then also you can be thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner the next day or something and bring your hand down for one second. Yep. They clock you and you are done. And even when you're watching the professionals live, these are pros. They've been doing it all their lives, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They still bring their hands down. It looks like an innocent body shot. And guess what? They're done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most innocent shots can be the hardest. And you made me think it about it. It just that. takes that one. I mean, you, what you wanted to do and apply your discipline and grow to the next level, that was all great. It's just the vehicle was wrong, in my opinion. So from there, I asked you, who, who did your work with you? And you introduced me to your trainer. Yep. And I went to meet him. And I had to hear what he had to say. He had to hear what I had to say. And we instantly gelled. Mm -hmm. And that's where I decided I'm going to put everything into the next competitions in six months. I'm going to go there and I'm going to win. Again, that focus, that very tight focus. So I'm training now about twice a day, usually depending. I'm working with about five, six different trainers. So I have one trainer for my meals. He hands me my spreadsheet on a Monday. I know on a spreadsheet, the quantities and, and timing of everything that I'm eating. Mm -hmm. He's also working with me in the gym once, twice a week. I have three more people that I'm working in the gyms to different degrees. And I have my boxing trainer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be freaking great. It's amazing. I look in the mirror. I'm weighing myself every week. I'm like, oh, this is great. I got abs. Blah, blah, blah. And then I go to the workshop. It's two months before the competition. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm all excited and I go to the workshop. And what happens at a fitness bodybuilding competition? You have to practice posing. Yeah. And you have to, you guys failed to mention that. <laughs> and I look like a freaking idiot. I have no clue what the hell they're talking about. I've never done anything. They're like, okay, so breathe. Everybody starts somewhere. Start turning. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And I am absolutely now, I'm screwed. I know how bad this is. I'm going to completely embarrass myself on stage. I was going to kill you, by the way. I never told you that. I'm like, why did George not mention that posing is a pretty big part of this? Because all these people have pretty good bodies. I guess I repressed the memory. Mm, I guess you did. But guess what happened? There's a guy who showed up late to the session, this workshop, and he was incredible. He was the best one out of the bunch, by far. He could suck it in his, ch- his, uh, his abs and like they like, like vacuumed in. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. So when we were done, I came to him. And I said to him, hello, my name is Jonathan. He goes, I'm Shan. I go, hi, Shan. How are you? He goes, good. I go, Shan, let's cut to the chase. <laughs> I'm absolutely screwed here. And we have this competition coming up in two months. And I'm not going to embarrass myself. And you are the absolute best guy here. Can you train me, please? And you need to come and help me because I need to win. And I'm, I'm going to finish dead last unless I learn how to pose. He goes, what area do you work live? I said, I'm in um, Mississauga by Square One. That's where my head office. Oh, I live across the street from you. Oh, do you now? He goes, yes. I actually just took the next two months off of work to focus on the competition. Did you know? <laughs> he goes, yes. I could come to your office and I can train you. How can you? And he looks at me, he goes, look, I competed in Mr. Mumbai and I take this stuff very seriously. I'm going to be the Indian Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's what he told me. <laughs> awesome. He loves Arnold. He's yeah. very passionate. So he looks at me, he goes, you, you're going to go to Walmart. You're going to pick up two mirrors. You're going to put that in your office. I'm going to come every day, 2 to 3 p.m. You are to have your shirt off. You are to have your shorts and you are to be ready to go. It takes half an hour, an hour, two hours, three hours. I don't care. You push everything aside. We'll play the music and I'm going to teach you how to pose. But you better be committed 100% and take it seriously or I'm not doing this. (laughs) And I look at him, I go, okay, today's Sunday. Can you come tomorrow? He goes, yes. That's awesome. That's the universe right there. But you know what? I had this funny thought. I just wonder what, you know. Your, the team, Teresa, and the rest of them were thinking when Shan walked in there the first time, the door closes and all they hear is music. <laughs> they know me well enough to say, oh, that's Jonathan being Jonathan, but they had no idea. One day I had to run to the bathroom quickly because I'd usually changed in there and then changed out when Shan left, so nobody saw me. So I'm in my Speedos <laughs> and I walk out, I'm like, hello. And they're like, hi. And they're like, Jonathan. <laughs> You're walking through the office in your speed. <laughs> One time. I didn't have a robe or nothing. So there's just no choice. And they saw the mirrors in there. The Ric Flair robe. <laughs> I, I didn't have the Ric Flair robe yet. I ordered it right before the competition yeah. from ricflair.com. And then I brought it to my tailor and had to get a tailor because it was too baggy. It was one size fits all. Mm-hmm. One size does not fit all ever. No. no. Sorry. So we had to get that tailored. So that's why the robe came to be. But Shan is coming in and like, Sometimes for two hours, we're only doing one movement. One turn. Again. Again. And we're doing this over and over. And I go, what is this? The karate kid? Jacket on, jacket off? Like, seriously. <laughs> but that's the kind of discipline he wanted. We, and there were sometimes three days in a row, two hours at a time. We only worked on one movement. He goes, you're not getting the next movement until you get this movement right. Again. 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 He came to my condo. 
We were doing it in the in the yoga gym in the uh, in the condo. People are working on weights and watching me as the music is going on. I'm in my speedos doing this. We went down to Mississauga uh, by the Square One area. There's a city near City Hall. There's a whole stage there mm-hmm. in the freezing cold. Went up on the stage, practiced it. Yes, outdoors there, the stage at yep. uh, City Square or whatever it is. He goes, "You'll appreciate it more it's when it when it's a nice hot building. So it's cold right now. Now you're going to be doing it out here." Wow, that's like Rocky style training. It was. The worst. <laughs> Shan made my life freaking miserable. Oh man, I love this story. I didn't I, know this part. It was bad. Like so, here I am, having still to put in that many hours at the gym, working with the boxing trainer, and having the discipline eating, and I, I'm still practicing law and running a law firm. And guess what? We need to pose with Shan for two hours at a time every day. You know what? I love this story. And the takeaway is: don't say you don't have time. Like, <laughs> there's two things that, that I kind of laugh about when people say, oh, I don't really have time for that. Or must be nice. Must be nice. Dude, it's an iceberg. You don't know what goes into that, that moment. It's all the stuff below. It's not a lack of time. It's a lack of priorities, as was said in a different episode of The Chosen Life. Correct. And as luck would behold it, Chan was also competing in the competition. So I rented an Airbnb in Hamilton and Ancaster close by. I got a, a lower level in the mansion. It was because it's Ancaster. It was cheap. We were mm-hmm, staying in this mm-hmm. mansion, and Shan brought the food. Shan went with me to the uh, to the tanning salon. Made sure I had my 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 tan perfectly on, and Shan saw me every step of the way, every every step, and it was unbelievable. And I gotta tell you, man, um, I was so beat by the end of this. There was so much going on, and like you know, you gotta get your body cut and everything mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. When I showed up finally to the competition the, the night before, I remember, and then the morning of, I come into the men's dressing room, see all these guys there, and they're all serious. And I'm like, hey, sausage party, what's going on? <laughs> and everybody just starts laughing. And one guy looks at me, swear to God. So he's looking at me. He says, you're the flexing lawyer guy on Instagram. Awesome. Small world. Awesome. So right away, I connected with all the guys. And the funny thing out of it is, let's say there's like 70 guys in there. No, except for one guy, everybody hated him because he was like really being a jerk and trying to like sabotage everybody. There was one of those kind of guys. Yeah. Everybody was helping one another. They're like, hey, here, I brought some rice cakes here. Why don't you have some of that? Yeah. Hey, you know what? I saw you did this. Why don't you try this? Let's do a pump together. It was amazing how everybody was looking after everybody. There was no ego in the room. I wish we did one together. Best. I'm just thinking about the, cha- the the dressing room ahead of time and everybody's yeah. zonked. Yeah. Like I can picture it. I know it because it's actually so draining. It's not the physical. It's it's all mental. That's the challenge, the real challenge. And everybody's just so zonked that morning. But for you to come in and say, hey, sausage party. Let's go. That just fires everybody up. That's awesome. And what people don't realize when you are in the audience that night on a Saturday night and you're watching the performance, they already competed in the morning. Mm-hmm. They had to get up early. And they've already done it and they've already, all the results are already done. What we're doing is a dog and pony show for you, but the results are already there. Mm -hmm. They're actually doing it twice. You got to run through this thing twice. It's a long day. It's a very long day. After a long day. You're coming Friday night, most cases. You are registering. You're going through that whole process, especially when you're a newbie. You have no idea. Everything's Mm -hmm. scary to you. What's going on? Where am I going? What am I doing? Where's the number? How do I do this? You show up the morning of. Nobody told me, where do I go here? Where do I go there? Where does my trainer go? Because I had my trainer competing with me, I had such an advantage. I remember I had two guys beside me, Anthony and Ben. And, and Anthony was a trainer, but he was also competing as well. Mm-hmm. And Ben was his protege, the same mm-hmm. way with me and Shan. Mm-hmm. And we instantly bonded. I'm going to have Anthony and Ben on the show. 
Awesome. Because we had such, such a good time and it was amazing. They're doing exactly what we're doing. And I remember Ben and I were on stage together with Shen and we actually finished in the categories, you remember? And watching all of us together, because there was a rookie category, there was the uh, veteran category, whatever you want to say, there was different ones, you know? I ended up finishing with two medals out of it. But being up on stage and having medals with the people that I went through those three days with and fought with them and helped one another, it was the best experience of my life. I loved it. It was honestly, I wouldn't trade it that for anything. Mm -hmm. Medals or no medals. You build lifelong friendships. For anybody who hasn't done it, it doesn't matter if you finish first, you finish last. Just going through the process, feeling it, you feel so good about yourself. You Just the fact that you showed up, you won. The fact that you had the guts to go on stage, pose, try, you won. It's all victories. Getting those medals are gravy. They're good gravy. They are. You make me think of something as I'm listening. And it's like, I think if you're lucky in life and, you know, it's a measure of success, you start to value memories more than money. I'm just thinking these memories are more important than medals. And then medals, I thought of money. And it's like, these are these material things, but it's the memories and experiences you create and who you become. I think that's, that's real success right there. When I had the episode with Elon Weintraub, one of my lifelong friends, we talked about our days as youngsters going to get autographs and meeting the celebrities. One of the things I raised, I said, Elon, we were getting all these autographs. We should have taken more pictures. I wish I had those memories because the stories and the memories and the pictures mean a heck of a lot more to me than those autographs. What's a freaking autograph? It's somebody's freaking ink on, on yeah. a ball, on a picture. Who cares? What does the autograph mean? Anything? It's meeting them. It's taking a picture with them. That's the experience of it. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's funny because with Steve Carsey, I wanted to, I really wanted to be Steve Carsey's baseball story. He chose the title of the chosen journey. I'm like, why the chosen journey, Steve? It's your baseball story. It's your autobiography. He goes, no, no, no. It's maybe my journey. It's maybe what I've gone through in life. But guess what? This is all of our journeys and everything I've done. You can relate within yourself into what I did. So right now, Steve has a clip blowing up on TikTok. It is absolutely gone viral. You know, last I looked, it's close to 300,000 views. By the time this thing airs, it's probably going to be 500,000 plus. Mm -hmm. Steve giving a one-minute clip talking about his experiences of why he left professional coaching with the Milwaukee Brewers because he knew it was time to spend more time with his son and he decided to devote himself to that. Mm -hmm. And just hearing that resonated with so many of the viewers, people understanding his parents as themselves as kids with their, with their parents. Their professions, the sacrifices they have to make. None of us, most of us are not professional baseball players, but in some way or another, hearing Steve's words and the way he went about his life, we can all relate to that in some form or another. True. So at the end of the day, it is about the journey and it's about our own personal journeys, how other people relate to those journeys and what we bring out of people. When people watch this, they're not necessarily watching George and Jonathan. They should be looking within themselves and saying, what have I done with my life? And what journey have I taken yeah. and what sacrifices do these people make and what sacrifice can I make and how can I be the best me that I can be really? Absolutely. And, and you know, I thought to myself as I was listening to you, the Chosen Life podcast, it's not your show. It's everybody's show. It really is, right? Because everybody can find something in it if they listen and they engage and they absorb it. I think it's, this belongs to everybody. People ask me all the time. You're the founder and creator, but you're giving it to everybody. I, people asked me, they said, what is this podcast? I don't understand. I need a categorization. I see you have a wrestler on. I see you have a baseball player on. So it's a sports podcast. No. Or you have a politician on. It's a political podcast. No. I think in my mind, it's every single thing I've touched, every single thing I like, other people's experiences, other things people brought of interest, and we're throwing it all in the blender and it's everything. You never know week to week who we're going to meet, 
what we're going to talk about. It should never be the same thing twice. And that's what makes it freaking interesting because you know what? In my life, I, I want differentiation. I love steak, but guess what? I want, I want to eat Mexican tomorrow. Maybe I want to eat Italian. Yeah. Maybe I just want to take a slice of bread and put some butter on it. Whatever it is, it's no different with this. Mm-hmm. I think that at the end of the day, in all our lives, if we just, I could tell you, George, that when I look back on my life, I'm sitting here in my mid-40s. I slept walked through the first 30 years easily. I did not live in the moment whatsoever. I was constantly looking to the next thing. I never celebrated any accomplishment. No matter what I did, it was never good enough. Yeah. I was very hard on myself. Yep. And then I said to myself, when I actually read the expression to stop and smell the roses, I'm like, I have never gone for a walk and actually smelled the air. I'm, I, my walk purpose was so I can get walking, so I can be healthy because I need to go home and I need to go do other things. What about walking and actually enjoying the walk for the sake of the walk? What about walking and actually smelling the air? I slept walked through 30 years. And I said to myself, it ends today mm. and I'm going to enjoy every freaking moment I'm on this earth and I'm going to stop doing that. And guess what? I don't know how much time I have. I hope I have till 120, but it's not going to be just quantity of life. It's quality of life. I want to wake up and I want to feel good about myself. I don't want to feel under pressure. I want to feel that I'm not good enough for people. And I'm not good enough for myself. And the truth of the matter is no matter how hard people were on, on me or good to me, I was hard on me. I was my worst critic mm. and I was never going to get anywhere until I learned to love myself. Mm-hmm. And appreciate and embrace what I was, understand my strengths and my weaknesses, and be good with that. And stop trying to be somebody else and stop trying to be who everybody else wanted me to be and embrace who I want to be. And when I accepted that and I loved that, and I said, okay, this guy's quirky and he has a weird sense of humor and, you know, he's trying to help people. And if you understand his sarcasm, guess what? I learned to understand myself. And that's where within me, when you look at this picture, this is not necessarily about me being an egomaniac. Yeah, I love it. It's not Photoshop. <laughs> Those were my actual guns and they still are. I know. I saw them live. <laughs> but in my mind, this is somebody that had no talent, simply had discipline, made a choice in his life that he's going to do it the hard way and he's going to build himself into something. And so every common day person that thinks, you know what, it's too late for me. I'm too old. I have no talent. I have mm. no skills. No, you work hard enough. You make a game plan. You have the right team. You can make something of yourself. I did that. And I want that to inspire other people to be the best them that they can be. That's amazing. Period. That, I love it. <laughs> so that being said, George Tremis, mm-hmm. segue to topic number four. Okay. The George Tremis story. Because oh. my question to you was, I know when the light bulb went off in my head. I can remember it vividly. I remember being in my 30s. I remember being in yoga one day in Shavasana. And the class is about to start. And you know what I pictured, George? I pictured myself in a box. And I said to myself, oh my God, I'm going to die one day. It is all going to be over. I am literally not going to be alive on this earth. And I don't know what's going to happen from there. And I started bawling my eyes out. Hmm. It really hit me. And it wasn't that I was afraid to die. It was my realization I wasn't living. I was afraid to live. Hmm. I was holding myself back. And I remember that moment vividly. I could tell you that was my light bulb. And it's not necessarily you have one particular moment or one particular experience. But at what point, you know, when you were living, were you always George Tremis? Or hell no. Were you always this good looking, confident, popular, <laughs> sexy, professional, <laughs> successful guy? Were you born like that? Or when did that happen? When did you evolve? What, what was your shape? You know, I think there's probably three, three pivotal moments okay. that I'll, I'll talk about. And they're not necessarily one instant. It's just segments of life. We have like life chapters, like a book. So the funny thing is, and you know, in, in the session I delivered turning prospect or excuse me, prospects into profits, I actually shared a little bit of my childhood story. So I was actually a fat kid. 
So it was great. I grew up next door to my grandparents and I got to know them and learn all the wisdom and stuff. But old school European culture was eat, eat, you'll grow big, you'll grow strong. So I thought, this is amazing. I love my grandmother's cooking. <laughs> and if I eat more, I'll be a giant. Amazing. <laughs> right? It didn't turn out that way. I'm all five foot, nine and a half. And I just went out sideways. So I was shy. I was introverted. Um, you know, girls didn't like me. I wasn't a popular kid. I was never picked for sports, etc. cetera. Um, but what I, ages is this? Yeah. You know, it's preteen, preteen okay. just before. Okay. But I mean, cause you don't really realize when you're seven or eight that you're really that chubby until you start to hit your teenage years and like girls. And then you're like, Oh, maybe, you know, my looks aren't what they should be. No, I, I had a family at seven, eight years old that made sure I knew that. Oh, okay. <laughs> lucky me. <laughs> Mine just kept telling me to eat. <laughs> and then I realized I could talk. You know, earlier when you were saying that, you know, you have a gift for gab and you can speak. And I realized I could influence and persuade people based on the way I spoke and the things I said. And that was kind of a bit of a moment where I broke out of that shell. And then all of a sudden I started believing in myself and I started working out. And I remember, you know, I'm like 13 years old and I ordered one of those step things that you stand on. And I would do that for hours, watching shows, talking on the phone, listening to Guns N' Roses, whatever. And I got really lean. And then I bounced around because I still hadn't gotten this part right in my head, right? So it was, that was one of the points. Then I decided, I guess, to focus on what I thought success was at the time, right? And so I've decided, and you know, may resonate with people, it may not. I shifted from using money as a measure of success. And I started thinking about it as a means to achieving something or a goal or an ideal or a vision. And that was a very pivotal moment. And what kind of led up to that was in my 30s, because I'm in my 40s too. You're in your 40s? Yeah, I'm 44. I thought you were like maybe 32, 33. <laughs> Oil of Olay twice a day or whatever that commercial Benjamin is. Benjamin Buttons. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm actually 67. No, I'm good. <laughs> you look great. Thanks, buddy. Um, and then, you know, I realized my 30s were a blur. So when you say you were sleepwalking, I can relate to that. So I remember one year because I started a consulting company and I was consulting and I was doing a number of other things and, you know, exploring other revenue streams. One year, I spent 279 nights in hotels. I would fly home every other weekend, pick a bunch of stuff, buy stuff, get my contractor to put up big screen TVs, this, that, the other thing, not really enjoy it, fly out the next day. And I'm like, what kind of life is this? Yeah. And that's when I was chasing money. And I was chasing some kind of status that money was going to give. And, and that became my purpose, but it wasn't my purpose, right? So I kind of blew past that part and said, no more. Right. Money's not going to be a measure of, of how I value myself. It's going to be a means for me to achieve things. That's when I started skydiving, motorcycle racing. I got race certified in motorcycles. I started doing all kinds of stuff, scuba diving, you name it. I told you you're about us. <laughs> I just played at it. Um, so that was the second pivotal moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last one was when I actually found my, my personal why that really resonates with me. And, you know, Whatever success I achieve is also attributable to yourself as well and other people that helped me get to that point. Um, and I think the pivotal moment was I went through this program called The Crushing Truth about trying to figure out your purpose, your passion, your why. And I was asked the question, and there was, it was a whole program, but there was one question in particular. Okay, you're on stage. There's an audience of all the people you love and care about. What do you say to them? Right? And so I had to think through that thought exercise. That was followed by... Okay, great. That session went well. You were standing up on stage. You were talking to people, sharing, giving emotion, experience, etc. Now you jump in your own private plane 
You have all the money and resources in the world. You can have anything you want, George, anything. So think about me in my 30s. Maserati, a helicopter, I want a yacht. No, I'd gone through that stage. So now at this point, my answer was, I want to send the plane back and go get my friends and family and people to come to the island and build it with me. And that's when it hit me. It's about helping people achieve what they want to achieve and being part of their journeys. And by that token, I get to live my journey and my purpose. And I used to think I was a lone wolf, 279 nights in a hotel, right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm working out. I've got my system, my rhythm, my process, but that wasn't it. I had to find my why. And then I realized I'm not a lone wolf. I want to help people. I want to serve people, help my team grow, see their achievements, be part of your podcast and your journey. And that's when things changed. And the irony is, if you want to use money as, as a measure, I'm doing way better from that standpoint because I'm actually using it as a means now. So that was, I think, the last pivotal moment I've had in my life. It's funny because I put down the topic. One of the, one of the things I put at the end is, how did you become George Tremis giving love energy freely? Hmm. And one of the things I associate with you, you know, it's funny because majority of people I meet, I'm not going to say they're terrible people, but it's, I can see when they're looking at me is what can I do for them? You know, I feel like they're sucking my energy. They're sucking my time. They want something, you know, and that's the calculation. I can see the calculation in the mind, you know, and that's very, that's, that's human nature for a lot of people. That's fine. I get it. I'm not, I'm not going to fault them for that. But one of the things I'll say about you is when I see you, it's not what you don't, when you're looking at me, it's not like, what can I take from you, Jonathan? It's like, what can I give you? You know, you are there to give first. You know, I think of myself as a Jubu, a Jewish Buddhist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I love that, by the way. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It's a thing, by the way. And the whole thing about, you know, as a Jubu mentality is, you know, I can be Jewish. I can study Buddhism. Doesn't mean that that's my religion per se or spirituality. It's whatever I want it to be. I don't need to have a label on it, you know. But I like different readings and different mindsets. And, you know, the idea being is, you know, I, I always ask myself, why are we here? What is the purpose of this? And I think I figured it out, to be quite frank. It's not about how much money you can make and how much stature at the end of the day. It's that every day you're lucky to be alive where other people are not. And are you enjoying it? Mm -hmm. I think to myself when I'm doing things, George, when I started coming to this mentality is when I'm doing something, does this make me happy? Mm. Makes me happy, let's do it. It's not making me happy, then let's rethink this. And I think it's mm -hmm. in everything. I see so many people that are working at jobs they hate and married in relationships that they don't love the person and they mm. hate their lives. It's not necessarily the job that's the problem. It's not necessarily your spouse or it might be, but it depends on the person. I think at the end of the day, it's too easy to blame others in other circumstances. They don't want to look within. That is the hardest thing possible. I'm going to move. I'm going to change where the city I live in. I'm going to change the type of residence I'm in. I'm going to go live in a bigger house. I'm going to live in a condo. I'm going to go live in a, in a country home. I'm going to change my career. I'm going to change my job. I'm going to change my spouse. Uh, I'm going to go to India and find myself. The person and the thing that you cannot run away from is your mind. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I found in yoga. The hardest thing possible is to lie there and be still in your own mindset. I, I've been told by so many people, I can't do yoga. It's not my thing. I'm too fidgety. I can't sit still. That's why you have to do yoga. Exactly. The more you can't do it, you need to do exactly. it. I'm scared of heights. Me too. That's why I jumped out of a plane. That's why I did Leviathan. you got to do it. And that's why I did Leviathan twice. And that's why I did in Mexico, seven zip linings, yeah. higher, higher. And I have a deathly fear of heights. But at the end of the day, I, it's, You're kind mind, of skydiving. it's mind effing yourself. It's telling yourself, 
I know, okay, and I'm doing a, a bench press with a weight that I don't think I can do. I'm telling myself, you can do this. 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 And I keep telling myself that over. I chant whatever mantra I got to do, picturing myself doing it, and then I do it. I did no different on Leviathan, and I'm sure you did differently, no differently on skydiving. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's believing. You're coming with me, right? To skydiving? Yeah. We'll talk about that. Okay. No promises yet. <laughs> I can't get you to commit. <laughs> I will absolutely not commit to that yet, but I will tell you, I will definitely take it under consideration. We'll offline it. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, it's living the life that you want, mm -hmm. the life that makes you happy. The so, chosen life. It's, it, that's why they call it the chosen life. You're choosing the life. I, I always say you're either living the chosen life or you want to live the chosen life. And one of the things I love about you, man, is again, you're not going, you're not a vampire energy you're going to take out of everybody. You add to people's life. You look at people and say, hey, how can I make your life better? Hey, I'm here. I could be a resource. Hey, let me tell you something. It, it's a, you give freely without asking for anything in return. You don't ask for a thank you. You're putting it out there. And when you put good things out there, good things will come back. That's just the nature so of the beast. True. I mean, yeah. I think of three things that I have to share. One, Please. Denzel Washington. Yes. The most selfish. Good, good friend of yours? Uh, no, but I'd like to meet him one day. I love what he says. And I believe it's authentic. He says, the most selfish thing you can do is to give to others. Because the feeling you get, the joy, and it comes back to you. And so I try to live that, right? And it also fits in with my why, my purpose. And uh, the other thing is, you know, I guess people can ask themselves what's most important to them. So if I think about the end, because you said, you know, you've pictured yourself in a box and, you know, I'm going to die one day and we all are going to. And yep. I, I just feel like I don't have enough time. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I could live another 50 years. But anyway, that's another story. I think to myself on my last day or when I'm done. I want it to be that so many people come to pay their final respects or, or, or thank yous or whatever have you because I touched their lives and I mattered to them and I made a difference, a good positive difference. So many that the church is overflowing, they can't even accommodate everybody. Not because I'm a you know, prime minister or the president of the US, but because George was good to me in my life. And so that's the difference. That's actually what matters to me. I love that. You know, and one of the things that's funny, success and secrets of winning customers and clients <laughs> is you start from number one, a place of abundance. I don't actually need you. I have enough business, so I'm not begging you. Mm -hmm. But number two, I do want to work with you and here's what I can offer you as a value. Mm -hmm. But it's not coming and selling on somebody, not forcing them at the end of the day. If I could take two things out of this, that as far as when I see George Travis and I see the best me I can be through you, is I would tell everybody else, number one, when you have an issue in your life and everything else, Ask yourself the first question, what part did I play in this? Not environmental factors, not other people. Stop trying to blame everybody else. What did you contribute? What did you do? What could you have done better? I can tell you, George, I don't care about the result. But if I can look in the mirror and say, I could have done something differently or I should have worked harder and I did not, that's when I'm hard on myself. Mm -hmm. Even when I have the success, when I have the result, if I know that I really have to ask it and I did not do enough, that's when I'm hard on myself. If I know that I did everything I could and I feel good about that, I don't care about the result. Self-esteem. That's it. I'm okay with that. But number one, I've seen everybody, if we all look within ourselves and start off from an accountability point of view with ourselves, I think our relationships will be much better with everybody else, our personal and our professional relationships. And number two, when you're looking at somebody across the desk, across the table, at the dinner table, you're a professional you're working with, a colleague, ask yourself, what can I do for them without asking for anything back in return? Instead mm -hmm. of what are they going to do for me? Mm -hmm. If every friendship is built on the fact that this person is not doing enough for me and they're not good enough for me, I don't like the social standing, this person is beneath me. It's not a friendship. It's not a friendship. It's transactional. It's terrible. 
but but that is the reality of our society for a lot of people you should look at everybody at the same level no matter if they're the president or the janitor there's nothing wrong with any jobs it doesn't matter don't have to look at what their title is doesn't look at their experiences do you like this person Mm. do you believe in them do you want to help them think of how you can give before what you could take please it's how you show up you know i had this discussion with clients of mine uh we did a lease okay Mm -hmm. and you know realtors will tell you there's not much money in a lease right and they said, you know, thank you so much. We went out so many times. You know, you treated us like we were buying a $10 million house. And I said, listen, if I choose to take you on as a client, as a lease, it doesn't matter if it's $10 million or a million. I made the choice. So I have to show up and deliver my best for you. And that's what you're talking about. You're a person of extreme integrity. You've never faltered from that. You've never BSed me. I've seen you when times are tough and, and the S is hitting the fan. <laughs> and that's when, you know, it's funny. When times are good, everybody's good. When times are bad, <laughs> that's so true. That's when you see the people turn on you. They're yeah. yelling at you, and then the next second, oh, buddy, I'm your best friend again. You are the consistent, regardless. You're like, this is not you. Uh, I, you almost took the words out of my mouth one time. You said, "It's not about the blame game right now. Let's get the result. Let's put our heads together and let's just get this done." Yeah, and that's what we do. Yeah, and that's why we love working. And that's the kind of experience we want to give everybody. And that's the fun way of doing it. Absolutely. So our last topic of the day, because you're a busy man, I appreciate you making the time today. By the way, you trekked over here to the studio. I wouldn't miss it, buddy. It's I would have driven twice as far, <laughs> and I know you would have. And I would do the same for you in a second. Thank you. And I'm glad we didn't wait till the new year to do this. It was a great timing. It's just funny because I'll come back in the new year. <laughs> oh, you'll be back. Oh, for sure you'll be back. But it's funny because I can tell you from a personal perspective, selfishly, I really had a good week this week, and yeah. I had one of the best days I've ever had. And Amazing. just when you start the day. When you know that you've been nominated for one of the greatest distinctions as a lawyer, you have a great uh, documentary series. You find out that a clip from that series is blowing up. Mm-hmm. And how do I end the day as I'm about to go to bed? James Hinchcliffe, the NASCAR driver who was uh, Dancing with the Stars, messages me confirming his time slot to come on The Chosen Life. You don't get better than that. Awesome. That's a day. That's a day. You know what? I, I want to point out something here. Yes, sir. You, we talked about the Chosen Life podcast being successful. One of the things I realized too is you're willing to pick up the phone. So, you know, say what you will about Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street. I love that line where he's like, your life sucks, pick up the phone. You're behind on your car payments, pick up the phone. Now, picking up the phone is an analogy and I use it in the sales context as well. Mm -hmm. But you decided, I don't care if I don't know this person because earlier before we came on air, I was asking you, do you know so-and-so? And you didn't. You just reached out. You picked up the phone. You put yourself out there. You put your... A, a behind on the line yep. and that was it and you did it i can tell you and that's the responsibility thing where people say i can't or it must be nice and it's like just do it <laughs> hey nike <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i get rejected and i do it's funny because i don't just write out the chosen life uh planet i also recruit the guests and mm-hmm. i do a lot of behind the scenes recruiting which people don't know about because also i'm producing the show essentially i'm the yep. director the producer the writer blah, blah blah whatever i have a big team behind me but I'm the one getting the guests, namely, at the end mm-hmm. of the day. And I get a lot of rejection, absolutely. And I can tell you something. Looking back 10 years ago when I was uh, blogging, I would not be able to done back then. I, I would not have had the courage to stand in front of a microphone, having millions of pe- people potentially listening to me and my guests. I would not have the guts. It was easy to hide behind the writing, you know? And that was my confidence within me. When I heard your story, I thought to myself, I was really shy growing up as well. Mm-hmm. I could tell you I didn't say two words until I was 18. Mm-hmm. When I had to work at the Gap as a greeter, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to S my pants. Like That's I was, amazing. You, you leaned into it. 
I was so afraid. I'm in the most major mall, Yorkdale Mall in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, at Christmas time, and I have to greet people, and I want to die. I do not do this, and like I'm all beet red, and I'm like sweating buckets, and it was my greatest fear because I I just don't want people to hate me. I don't want people not to like me, and I so I was so afraid of.、It. Now I don't care because I know one thing: you like yourself first, number one, and, and number if they th- don't, it's their loss. I can't control that. I can be the best me, and they may love it, they may hate it. I can't control that, and I don't live in their heads. And I, you know, there are people. I remember as a young lawyer, I wanted to win over everybody. If I thought somebody had a negative opinion of me, I would work night and day trying to convince them. Otherwise, it bothered me so much.、Mm-hmm. Now I realize I can't control that, and we should not be worrying about what's out of our control. If we've done the best、100%. we can, we try to build a good relationship. Guess what? Ninety-nine percent of people like you. Take it.、Mm. Topic number five, buddy. As we wrap up, in、today. fact, I would take ninety nine percent over one hundred percent. If you try to please everybody, you're not yourself. Take seventy five over one hundred if it's the right one. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. So it's time to fantasize, buddy. Topic、right. number five. We're gonna think big now. We have to wrap this up, and we、All、gotta、right. think about big business now because I know you're an entrepreneur and you're a shooter and you're always looking for the next big score. So there's a couple of big opportunities that come up, and I want to run by you and see what you think. Okay. So we have Twitter. Uh-huh. That Elon Musk is looking to pick up, okay, and I believe their forty-three billion dollars is what he offered for them. Okay, he's going to put the、uh, consortium together. I'm a big baseball fan. The Washington Nationals apparently are being valued for sale as well through the Lerner family, and apparently they're valued at two billion dollars. The Lerners paid four hundred fifty million dollars in two thousand six. Listen, we're already talking two billion. We might as well talk forty-three billion. What's the difference <laughs> at this point? If we can put together the right group. And you had to get one. Right, never mind the money of it, because imagine, anyways, majority of it's finance, anyways. Like you、mm. know, you're you're a figurehead, and let's say you're going to get sweat equity out of it. Do you want the Washington Nationals? Do you want Twitter? And why? I think the Nationals would be fun from a, a celebration standpoint, being out at the games, the players. But from a practical standpoint, Twitter. Okay. Tell me why. Communication is everything. Okay. Twitter is a platform for communication that has so many people following it. It's not about how much it's costing or how much it could grow to. When you control the message, you control communication. That's everything. Words have power, and so if I can control words, you know, for good, that's a superpower. So Twitter, I take Twitter. So you know that I'm going to be doing the reverse, <laughs> and I'm very sorry about this because we did not rehearse this. I don't even know if you read the script before I sent it. You probably did. You probably skimmed over it, but you're a busy guy. But、uh, chances were you were going to go with Twitter, which is what I expected and hoped.、Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because so first of all, are you a sports fan? Gen- was it for the reason you thought? For the exact reason, yes. Okay. Because I kind of know how you, how you think as well. That's why I also picked it because I know I want to shoot big <laughs> and I know how big communication is to you. Yeah.、Um, are you a, are you a sports fan in general?、Um, somewhat. Somewhat not. It's all relative, right? So I'll watch games, but for me, it's a social thing. So I'd rather go out to the game, etc. I'm not one to sit down in front of the TV and watch sports. So if I give you the opportunity, for example, to own the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Raptors, would you be cool with that? Would you be like to have that、uh, title? Yeah, for sure. We'll take it, right? Yeah. So here's my thinking of why I'm going after the Washington Nationals, and I'm not going to touch Twitter. Washington Nationals baseball team, storied franchise for the Montreal Expos, one of thirty teams. In the whole world, Major League Baseball, you can only own one of thirty teams. There will be expansion at some point. They're going to go to thirty-two. I'm pretty sure they、mm-hmm. are. I've talked about expansion before with、like、Xavier Scruggs on a different episode. 
Steve Carson and I are going to talk about that again as well. Expansion, relocation is a very popular topic. But the bottom line is it's one of 30 teams mm-hmm. in most storied, prestigious baseball is in all the sports leagues that you can only get one of 30. Mm-hmm. In my mind, Twitter is like this. I'm buying $43 billion of nothing. Why? Because you look at the communication and everything else of where it's at. In my mind, hand me $2 billion. Hand me $5 billion and I will build you a platform that's going to rule over Twitter eventually. And I'm going to save like $40 billion out of it. <laughs> because it, it's kind of like, to me, it's almost like comparing like owning stocks in Bank of America versus owning an NFT. You know, mm. I can see the bricks and mortar. I feel it. I don't feel it with this. And I'm not at all trying to sound like an old school investor or anything else like that. No, no, I don't take it that way. It's just that at the end of the day, it's funny because even as a lawyer, I think about it and I'm like, what can get me out of business? What is the next platform and everything else? And Twitter, it's funny. I remember in its heyday when I was, when I was tweeting 10 years ago, 12 years ago, like that was the platform. That was the be all end all. And funny. Sitting here today, and I see as far as I'm barely on TikTok, like my firm is, but I'm, I personally am not TikToking. Is that, is that a thing? TikToking? I don't know. I don't TikTok. Don't know. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you got Instagram. You got Facebook, which is also seen as passe. It's funny. But there's so many platforms and they're coming up more and more mm-hmm. and more as the day come around. And I'd be sitting, if I own Twitter and I'd be thinking, who's going to replace me? What's going to happen? I'm sure if Elon took it compared to where they are today, I'm sure he could do really great things with it. I mean, the guy's revolutionary. Absolutely. But on the same token, for me, it's a couple of, of mindsets. First of all, the prestigiousness, because I'm a baseball fan, I'm a sports fan. Owning that for $2 billion versus $43 billion, to me, that's a no-brainer, man. Like, mm. number one. But number two, as far as also, I cannot go and create a new baseball league tomorrow that I'm going to go compete with Major League Baseball. That's going to be, like, you know, the XFL try to do that yeah, with the NFL. Yeah. There's a CFL. Good luck with that. With the way the sports leagues are set up, maybe you'll get an expansion team, but to go create your own league, not going to happen. But something like Twitter, for example... I see it. I'm like, I'm going I'm to do my own thing the way everybody else has created one. And as long as you can have like two to $5 billion in backing, I think we can do something that can at least eventually compete with them and save all that coin. I think with Elon Musk, I, even for example, and I'll give you another reason I'll why. I'll give you another perspective in a minute. How do you value this thing? He's throwing $43 billion at it. And I hear I'm looking at on, online, you know, some people are valuing it at $30 billion, $35 billion, $25 billion. Like, What's like, something worth? It's what someone's willing to pay for. True in a traditional sense, yes. but it's what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. So you know one of the companies I own, right? I'm not going to bring it up in this case. I could probably deny, but go ahead. <laughs> I didn't buy it for what it was doing. I bought it for what I could make it. So that's the difference, right? So if Elon sees that 43 billion can be turned into 100 billion worth of value, he sees something maybe somebody else doesn't. So he has a different value, and it does come back to what somebody's willing to pay for it. And I love what you're saying, you know, in terms of. Uh, terms of uh, having only one of 30, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a limited number, scarcity kicks in. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, I'm traditionally trained MBA and stuff. And you talk about barrier entry and Michael Porter's five forces and the rest of this stuff, right? Yes. And uh, so you have barriers to entry, very significant barriers to entry. So you're one of 30, great. But I'm going to ask you one question. Please. What if I control Twitter and tweeted good or bad about a baseball team? What would happen? Wait a minute. You mean somebody can own the media and can put messages through that are in their self-interest? Yeah. No. <laughs> Wait, that, you're not talking about no newspapers and like the news, are you? Oh, like you need a journalism license? Now you need to. We're not going there. Yeah, not gonna, okay. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. 
And at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's, it's also like, you know, I love watching the show Billions and Power and all this. Great show. Amazing. <laughs> and all these shows are like, but in, in Billions, Succession, mm-hmm. you know. Succession, this, I can't wait for the next season. It's coming. That show, man. Kendall, man, you're so badass. <laughs> but on the same token, you know, the messages are clear there is they, they have the means and they're paying beyond the means simply to send a message and to show they were able to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing. And I can understand that Elon Musk's reasons for having Twitter, the point he's at, is way different than mine. Mm-hmm. I often say that I notice something, people that are successful. They've reached the epitome. They've achieved all their life goals and beyond for 10 lifetimes. They still do what they do for a simple reason. Mm-hmm. because they are challenging themselves to see how far they can take it. They got nothing to lose now. They've done it all. They can die tomorrow, a happy person. So either you stop and just go off to the sunset or you see how far you can take it. You're playing with house money now anyways. Money's not the measure. It's just a means. <laughs> I think Elon has accepted your uh, analogy in that standing. I think so. I'd like to talk to him about it. Elon? <laughs> I can certainly tell you, George, if you're able to have him come on The Chosen Life, I'll have the three of us any time together. I think we'd have a fantastic Why conversation. Why don't we conference call him? <laughs> you know what? Uh, have your people call his people and let's see if we can put it together. That would be pretty amazing. If we manifest it, I think it'll come. I will tell you this, my friend, before I'm done, I'll be sitting on Oprah's coach couch one day. You I know what? It. I'm going to make a request. Let's get Grant Cardone out here too. I'm a big fan of Grant Cardone. Okay, perfect. Let's just, we'll put the list together. <laughs> As we're summing up today, George, uh, what is the George Tremis 2022 looking like? What's your game plan? What is your immediate, where are we headed? I think I'm going to narrow my focus a little bit more mm-hmm. and focus on the things that are more aligned with, with my purpose and, and using money as a means to get there. So I love this kind of thing. I'll be back anytime you want. Um, and I'm going to focus a lot more on my speaking engagements. So you look back on things. It's funny. Only somebody can be the, as Rick Ferris said, none of you can be first, but all of you can be next. <laughs> and, and you were the first and that'll be the distinction. Nobody else would ever have. Thank so, you buddy, for that honor. There's a, there's a reason why my friend, who do you want reaching out to you and how do they reach you? My friend. Oh, um, anybody I can help or be of service to, um, that I can bring some value and we can grow and evolve together. And they can reach me on my social media platforms. Um, there's GT1 Realty Group, Instagram, Facebook, uh, George Tremis on Facebook. We'll so put it all in the summary. There's multiple ways to reach me. Type in George Tremis is only one. I saw you're even on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Good job. I am? You are. Yeah, see, the thing is, my last name, I'm pretty lucky. So if you yes. Google search me, you'll find me. Amazing. T-R-E-M-I-S. T is in tango. R-E-M is in money. I-S. <laughs> Like I said, he's twisted steel and he's sex appeal, baby. George, it's been an ultra pleasure. It's been a great conversation. Time flies Absolutely. by in a moment. And one of the first things that I, you know, when I met you and everything else, and then we decided to birth the podcast was you and I had such great conversations. Yeah. Let's share it with the world. And that's what we did today. Absolutely. So as we're signing off, you're going to embarrass me today because your arms are so big. But Are we going to flex? We're going to flex. Keep living <laughs> chosen life. Thanks, brother.